As the dust settles on the death of another harvest season, we start to organize things and get ready for the darker and the colder part of the year. The pumpkins are prophesying decay with their twisted grins and sunken, moldy hats. Staring down and waiting to join themselves back to the earth to become nourishment for new things. The skies are turning black earlier. The cold wind is picking up over the field here, tearing the last leaves off the trees and revealing their cold-colored stems and shadows across the water. It's time to start connecting with family and friends, developing those bonds that form more than just mundane protection, but emotional protection from the bitter, lonely onset of the coming winter. Family is more than simple man, wife, and child units. Family can sometimes run even deeper than blood. This is Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'm a storyteller, a lover of nature, dark and light, and all the things in between. I'm an advocate of balance, and I know that life is more about the journey than the final destination. Join me today as this episode explores the beautifully different facets of family, friends, and bonds. There's more than one definition of family. It can go beyond a small social group of parents and children living together. You don't even have to live together. I consciously, purposely, freely decided not to go in that direction. I have no children, no husband, was married once, but I felt pushed into that one. I didn't really want to, and and I'd said no way too many times. Some people just can't wrap their heads around a no, <laughs> but that's another story. Deliberately choosing to remain unmarried doesn't mean that you'll live your whole life alone and without family. We all naturally gravitate and find our own social groups. And that's another one of those definitions of family. Being a part of another social group. People that you feel incredibly bonded with. People who wear the same convictions that you do. Those who loyally give you support and strength. Distantly, under the same roof. Doesn't matter. Family consists of the ones who are present in your life any way it works for them and you, who will always have your back. You don't have to be strung together like a set of paper cut-out dolls hanging eternally over the fireplace mantle. The most well-known pack animals are domestic dogs and wolves. But I'm going to focus on wild and domesticated dogs because they're inclined to become loyal to each other without the need for bloodlines, unlike wolf packs, which are primarily tied together by that biological relation. Nobody really knows the origin of dog-to-human partnership, but research seems to point in the fact that we're probably not as responsible as we think we are for domesticating dogs. They seem to have domesticated themselves, as animals like foxes do. And wild dogs and jackals started cozying up to humans thousands of years ago. The people who have studied this believe that there's a gene responsible for it, 
More social dogs, domesticated dogs, seem to have a, a disruption in a genomic region that remains intact with more aloof and fearful wolves. And that's just another reminder that everything and everybody is not the same. We don't all have the same type of social group motivations. And it's useless to try and force those kinds of boundaries on each other. And this is where I'm going to get into some stuff that isn't going to line up with the status quo of our human social mainstream. But that is changing slowly. Both social grouping and sexuality works differently all across the board in the animal kingdom and in the human one. And it has forever. We've never all worked the same way. And it is natural, and we're not so separated from the animal kingdom in that regard. We've just hidden it through history, especially during darker times when we reinforced punishment on each other for a lack of certain moral values that were more acceptable back in the day. When you live in fear of punishment, you're not going to tell anybody what you're really doing or what you're really feeling. And you're going to go along with the status quo if you want to eat and live peaceably. For example, if a woman refused to get married back when women didn't have as many rights as they do now, she'd probably end up lacking food and a decent place to live because women couldn't really make their own money that long ago. They weren't allowed to own property without a husband's permission. And so going along with getting married to someone that you were not that attracted to was still a better choice than begging for food on the streets and possibly having to work in a brothel to eat and have shelter. So you got false and fake intimacy and women being trained to serve and put on airs that they liked it over time. I genuinely believe this is where a lot of confusion between men and women in strict monogamous relationships and tradition to this day comes from. And notice I said a lot of. Again, people do not all work the same way. There's absolutely nothing unnatural about monogamous relationships either, if that's the way that you're wired. But not all of us are. As a matter of fact, I've met, talked with, and come to understand that there are a lot of women who are not as wired for monogamy as men are. More women seem to stray in this non-monogamous direction than men do, which completely destroys the myth that men are the ones who want to skip out on the the tight-knit relationship. And nature has a lot to do with this wiring in many women. Now, if you're faint of heart or if you have an aversion to learning about cycles and sexuality, you might not want to listen to the next part of this. But if you're interested in the hormonal truth, then here we go. Women have more than one cycle of reproduction every month. We have phases that run all month long. So in actuality, there is never a time when nothing hormonal is happening in there. Whether a woman's interested in bearing children or not, her body prepares for it every single month, just in case. 
And so we have this primitive brain that's eternally tied to our reproductive system and the ongoing drive to sustain life in this universe. One phase of that month, one of these cycles is the cycle of ovulation, which makes it a little easier to acquire and draw in the needed ingredients of making a baby, right? Now, since emotional behavior is strongly tied to hormones and cycle changes, a woman is naturally going to be attracted to stronger, healthier, more aggressive gene pools during this one time during the month. And this lasts anywhere from 12 to 24 hours, depending on the woman. This is a critical time period. She wants something very specific, and it's got a deadline. So her behavior is going to change, and it's supposed to change. So you see women once in a blue moon who seem to make this complete switch and want something very different something very masculine, very strong, an attraction to masculinity that has nothing to do with whether or not that person is nice or mean. There's less of a consideration or care for mental or emotional attention. And this is a pure, primal, animalistic desire to acquire what her body needs to generate a healthy, strong, living body inside her. And after that 24 hours is over, complete straight switch back to something else. She's done with him. The female body then, if it did become fertile, starts another phase, which is preparing a nourishing place for that life to grow. And this means her hormonal state will change again, making her behavior change again. It becomes very protective, very nurturing. Now, this, of course, assumes that this particular woman is biologically and mentally healthy and has the social desire to have a child, which, again, everybody's different. So that throws even another complication into the mix. And we all grow up differently. We're experienced and behaved differently. But if she is inclined to want that child, what she's attracted to now is going to change abruptly too. Suddenly, the man who's strong and masculine and aggressive becomes something to fear. Now she's got a baby inside her. She doesn't want anybody eating it. And that's what things do in the wild. A lot of male species will eat or kill babies out of competition. It's simply a matter of protection. And this is only one part of natural desire. It has a lot to do with why women change their minds so much and are so finicky when it comes to love and relationships. And most women and young girls especially are not self-aware enough to understand that these biological, natural things are dominating their behavior. So when they get reprimanded for feeling attracted to more than one person or for not being capable of sustaining sexual interest over time, they get even more confused, and so does the whole world of social partnership norms. I wanted to give just this one example here, just to open up the knowledge that there is a world of difference out there between people when it comes to sexuality and family and the way nature really works. 
it's not even realistic to go into a relationship with expectations that depend on these sexual moral standards. These standards that change and shift over time anyway, as our society grows and realizes, well, maybe we kind of screwed up, guys, when we demanded everybody act and work the same way. Maybe we should amend the traditional marriage contract, (laughs) stick a clause in there. Maybe an occasional fling is not the end of the world, as long as there aren't lies or manipulations attached to it. Those lies and manipulations that are more often born out of a fear of punishment for not adhering to social norms. Maybe one day we'll get to the point where we can trust each other's emotional intellect enough to actually talk about it, truthfully. But in the meantime, let's talk about family and winter coming. November is a darkly beautiful month, a shift in nature that makes us inclined to cozy up to each other, eat good food, All that good stuff the harvest provided, if you were living back in the day of no grocery stores. November's a time of reflection and rest and stocking up for the colder, harsher months. One of the most important things to stock up on is emotional and mental bonds. Because those cold winters can take a real toll on the psyche. And family and friends are so vital to sustaining good health. It's a little harder to get outside and exercise. You're battling snow and ice, and it's really uncomfortable. And so sitting indoors a lot will eventually start to tear down the the mind. The onset of depression, having more time with our own thoughts, which can get pretty crazy. That's when bonds and relationships can either shine or they can destroy if they're not healthy. Wolves are the best when it comes to surviving the cold and staying bonded through harsh winters. All canines, they're so good at it. The bonding, the cooperation, the emotional support. Wolves have been the symbol of strength and love relationships during the winters in Native American tribes for a reason. They're the kings of survival through those dark and cold times. They're associated with February. Wolves are known to cooperate to take down prey and feed the entire pack right in the middle of the harshest blizzards. They can hear and smell the faintest movement under the snow and ice and find that food when nothing else around can. They're developed for it. Their coats are waterproof. They give each other warmth as they sleep together at night. They protect each other and work as the ultimate hunting and nurturing unit. And domestic dogs feel that way too. So this winter, when you're feeling that never-ending cold isolation, remember your bonds and don't be afraid to call on them. Even if you're not wired for the marital family unit under the same roof sort of thing, that doesn't mean that you can't have tight family bonds and relationships. And living distance doesn't necessarily mean isolation either. Not if you don't want it to. Of course, it's time to stock up on food, plug up holes, insulate around windows, get ready for cold wind, and get the snow shovels out and ready. But it's also time to nurture those friendships that you've got and develop stronger bonds and relationships with people. 
Why make it harder to survive? That's what I believe that November is for. And it's a good habit that keeps me from forgetting my friends, keeps me from becoming too self-absorbed. There's nothing in this life like those bonds and those friendships. We all have working goals. This need to find some sort of destination. But it's really the journey that makes all of it magic. And the development of family and friendship bonds is a big, big part of that growth and maturity. So let's not let the winter become so isolating and empty. Let's prepare for it emotionally as well as tangibly. I'm refusing to buy into the idea that we need to be so polarized and put off with one another. This year's trials and this current political environment, it's produced a conflict that goes against everything natural and healthy. And allowing ourselves to stay angry and segregated is like eating away at the most unhealthy, toxic, garbage food sources that we can find. Anger is easy. Personal discipline and the development of class and etiquette is not always. But it's more rewarding. It has value. It gives us value. What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of example do you want to set? Do you want it obvious that you're easy to upset and get angry? Or do you want to be that person who says, you know what? We've kind of sunk a little bit here, and this is not really helping me out in my life's journey. This civil chaos isn't really getting me near my personal goals anymore. It's become a big distraction. I'm a dog person. I'm social. I'm a pack animal. My friends are everything to me, and I want to spend my time nurturing and strengthening those bonds. When I leave this earth, I want a big funeral and send off. (laughs) I want to leave behind a legacy of love, creativity, romance, stories, inspiration, the kind of motivation that makes people feel good. I want you to feel good. I want everybody around me and close to me to understand what love and friendship is supposed to feel like. To isolate segregate and toss misery around like a kickball doesn't put me anywhere close to the state of life that I want while I'm here. You know, concerning how dogs are so naturally friendly, I went back to reading about the genome area of canines that's responsible for this research done by a scientist named Von Holt. The gene that seems to be responsible is WBSCR17. It's been identified, and it's absent in most wolves. Some wolves have evolved with it, but those are the few wolves that are inclined to cozy up to humans and become a little bit friendlier. We have the gene, too. It's a polypeptide protein. And this all goes back to chemicals and hormones and how much they guide our behaviors and how we could probably use a reminder of this the next time we feel inclined to reprimand somebody for feeling the way that they do. Understanding and open-mindedness works a little better. We don't all have to agree or live the same way, but this social norm-driven punishment is 
agonizing, and it's not very effective. The cold finally did set in this week here at Foggy Moonshine Valley. Right as Halloween marked the morning of the full moon and the shift in the energy that crept over this mountainside, I can see this place getting ready to go to sleep. The bears are gone into hibernation for the year. No more cool-looking bear tracks on the trails. Those trails are feeling hard and solid and freezing over in the mornings. The deer, they're growing their longer, thicker coats for the winter. They look fluffier. They'll start looking for coniferous trees soon. Those evergreens that can hold snow in like rooftops, insulating space underneath and forming this little bit of a warmer shelter. Kind of like a a mountain igloo for deer. They like evergreens. My smaller songbirds are gone. The heron's back. He's tougher and he stays during the cold months. I always know that it's about to get cold when I start seeing my big blue heron friend more often. The squirrels are going crazy, shaking all the black walnuts off the trees and gathering them up. You can't let your black walnuts dry outside here, or the squirrels will ransack and steal them in one night. The sounds are all over the place of falling nuts hitting tin roofs of the old barn in the house here. It's loud, and it can make you take a quick look over your shoulder until you remember what it is. Everything out here is reminding me and warning me that I'd better spend this time getting myself prepped and ready for what's about to come. Get an easier and more steady source of heat in. Make sure I stock up on water so I don't have to go fill it up every single morning. Get the salt out and the sand ready for snow. New tires are on my car. Bring in the winter wardrobe. Get the big coats out. All that good stuff. I hope you guys are all doing what you can to get stocked, comfy, and ready for change. Because it's coming. And don't forget the friendships and family bonds. They're going to be more important than ever this year. Stay safe. Stay strong. And be good to each other. This has been Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I want to thank my biggest supporters of this listener-supported podcast. Sheila McGregor, Bruce Presson, Robin Umber, Chris Nolan, Yvonne Ragland, and Arnold Bloom. And I'm giving a special thanks today to those of you who hit up my tip jar when the hurricane came through here and wreaked havoc on my land. Thank you so much for that support, that love, and that help. I appreciate it more than you know. It, it couldn't have come at a better time. You guys are a lifesaver, and I'm honored to call some of you my very good friends now. Everybody take care of yourselves, your families, and fill up on gas and food right away. And make sure that you've got plenty for your pets. Keep a little love inside your heart and come back next week.